I have with me today a fellow sergeant. Now he's still on the job. And uh, we appear together uh, on Newsmax. We um, we have very similar views about things. But he's a guy, he's a really busy guy, um, who started something that has just become so extraordinary when it comes to helping law enforcement officers. So, of course, I want you to meet him. Uh, Sergeant Joe Imperatrice, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So, Joe, um, so first let's talk about your police career. You're still uh, an active police sergeant with the NYPD. Um, catch us up on that. So I started back in uh, January of 2006, almost going into my 18th year. I started off in the 70th precinct in East Flatbush. That's the precinct uh, that wasn't known for good reasons. It was the precinct where uh, Justin Volpe, um, you know, assaulted uh you know, I believe it was Abner Louima, uh, the whole plunger incident. So when I got there years later, uh, community was still, you know, remembered that terrible incident. Uh, good thing is, is I learned from great police officers. Uh, right before I got there, November of 2005, Dylan Stewart was a police officer at Midnight's, was shot and killed. And six months later, not even six months, but a few months later, uh, Frank Hennessy died going to a fake gun run. So when I got there about seven months later, the house was super tight. We learned from the senior police officers uh, one of the most diverse precincts in the city of New York. Absolutely amazing. From there, took the test. I passed as a sergeant uh, with three and a half years on. I uh, got promoted, went to the Lower East Side, the 7th Precinct. Went into the detective squad, uh, the, the 9th detective squad in uh, September of 2015. Stayed there for a year, spent two years in the 1st Precinct detective squad. Went to the real-time crime center. Absolutely amazing because New York City it was the first real-time crime center ever established back in 2005. I'm currently assigned to Detective Bureau Staten Island. I want to ask you a couple of questions about that because people hear a lot of things in the media. Um, can you explain stop, identify, and frisk and why it's not a racist pol policy and why it did so much good for the citizens in New York? So people need to know what stop question, possibly frisk. You know, as you mentioned, not every person that got stopped in the street was frisked. Um, it was a great tool because we see in black and brown communities, violence is much higher. Uh, police officers went out there. They identified the people that we believed had firearms on them or weapons. Uh, we would target those individuals and then we would take guns off the streets. It kept criminals on their toes on top of uh, broken windows policies. Those two combined drove down crime in the city of New York and became a template from all across the nation. Um, under Mayor de Blasio, he used his son as the poster child, right? He, he made his family feel feel like they were uh, always violated, and he tied them into uh, the community, and that's how he won. It was his goal to stop it. And what he didn't realize in a lot of these activists is that it actually hurts communities. You know, people, as you know, being a retired sergeant, police officers have the right to go up and just talk to somebody, to question someone. If they believe that there's a bulge and they're carrying a weapon— you can, for your safety and the safety of the people around them, take that weapon off that person or at least frisk it to feel if it is a weapon. So I do believe nationwide, just not New York City, it's a great tool and it should be be brought back so that we can start driving down crime because all across this nation, um, it's out of control. What's the street gang issue like in New York City? I come from the Chicago area 
and uh, street gangs and their and their related crime, their related criminal activities, huge deal. Um, what about in New York? So growing up here, we had the Latin Kings, the Bloods, and the Crips. I'm not saying they're not around, but they're not as prominent. We have more crews. Uh, we have these young gangbangers who are never stopped by the cops. They're all in their teens, anywhere from 11 to 18 years old. And with Raise the Age and all this bail reform nonsense, these kids never had interactions with the cops where they had to be on their toes, where they weren't afraid to carry illegal firearms. And we're seeing an uptick in violent crime all across this nation with young kids because police officers aren't stopping them. Uh, they have an depraved difference for human life. They're on these mopeds and scooters and just snatching bags off people they're shooting in broad daylight like cowboys that's the problem we're having in the city so you started uh a foundation i guess we'll call it right called yes. blue lives matter um now just that phrase was triggering for some people but let's talk about the founding of blue lives matter and and what your intent was and and why you decided to do that so as we can remember, dating all the way back to the Michael Brown situation, I believe that was in St. Louis or, you know, in that area. Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, Ferguson, that's what it was. Uh, the hands up, don't shoot. All across the nation, cops were villainized. Every single day from that point forward, police officers were on the front page of the paper or headline the news saying how terrible they were. Then we had the Eric Gardner situation with Danny Pantaleo out here, and it fanned the flames. And then we go into fast forwarding a couple of years, George Floyd and all this nonsense. So going back to 2006, I, I was tired of seeing all the negativity on the news. And the goal was to show the public that even off-duty police officers do great things, that they're human beings and they really do love what they do. On top of that, I started seeing the line-of-duty families, uh, the officers that were killed in the line of duty, their families get put on the back burner. And I can only imagine watching all this nonsense on TV, them saying my loved one was killed for this to, to be spit on and talked about, you know, how terrible they are. So I wanted to go out there and put a smile on their face to show up at their doorstep to be a combination between a Make-A-Wish Foundation, like an Extreme Home Makeovers for police officers to start bringing back something good. And I'll never forget it. I, I went to Brooklyn. I sat down with a lawyer that deals strictly with, uh, nonprofit organizations. I liked what I heard. And I'll never forget it. He said at the time that, Joey, this can be something big, just the name alone. It can be a, a nationwide name one day. And I, I, I didn't think about that. But I liked what I heard about the nonprofit. I gave my own credit card. And in January of 2015, we came at registered 501C3 nonprofit organization. And to date, uh, not one person's on payroll. We've been all across the nation. We raised over $2 million. And great feeling helping people. That's so extraordinary because. You know, like you said, I, I think that a lot of people think when an officer is killed in the line of duty, um, that uh, their family is just somehow magically totally taken care of uh, or when they're injured as well. And that's not always the case, is it? No, it's not. And even in New York City, in this area, we still see over 20 years later, people suffering from 9-11 related illness, whether it's cancer or sleep apnea or just some weird disorder where they're really having a difficult time to show up at their house or to have them come out to a ball field and throw out a major league baseball in front of 50,000 people, it lets them know that people care. And, and that's the goal. And by doing that, you motivate other people. You know, Betsy, because of the media, it's always black versus blue. They wanted black lives versus blue lives. It was never supposed to be that. But because the media wanted to do it, that's how I got catapulted into this political whirlwind and uh, speaking about police officers. But at the end of the day, this isn't about me. This isn't about going in front of a TV camera. 
It's about helping police officers, motivating police officers, and letting the officers know they're killed in the line of duty that their families will never be forgotten. So let's talk about that because after the um, de- the death of Michael Brown, the justified police shooting of Michael Brown in 2014 in Ferguson, Missouri, and and then there were several other notorious cases. Then we come to the death of George Floyd in 2020, and and now moving forward three years later. When we look at these situations, the thin blue line, American flag, I have one in the background here, um, somehow uh, became a negative symbol. And then the phrase blue lives matter, which is a phrase that we have been using uh, in law enforcement for quite some time. Somehow that became negative and you became the center of that. Talk about that. Yeah, well, first of all, let, let's get something straight. Any life lost, whether you're on the right side or the wrong side of the law, is a complete tragedy. No one deserves to lose their life. Uh, but unfortunately, in life, things happen. Um, you know, right or wrong, it, it doesn't matter. A life lost, there's some family out there that's got to grieve, whether it's on the side of police or the civilian side. So, so it's never an easy thing. Uh, I actually did a series on Netflix called Explained about the blue line flag. And it's incredible because when you when you see a police officer killed, as you've seen many, unfortunately, just like I have, the first thing you see on the side of the road is that blue line flag. Even civilians hold it up and it's showing your support. And people don't understand what it means. It's the activists and, and those politicians that are just off the wall that come out of the woodworks and try to say it's racist or it's negative. No, it's not. It's a symbol of us showing unity. Uh, the blue line that, that's to your left. Um, that one mostly comes out during police funerals. Uh, the one with the black, with the blue in the middle, it's just a symbolization that without police officers, the world would be in total chaos. So it's never explained enough. And what I don't like, Betsy, and I don't know if this affects you, is when you see executives all over the nation and they do like that, that media grab and they'll go on TV and they'll, they'll just bow down to certain people. We're going to remove it from our police department. Betsy, I walk around all different facilities all over the 50 states. It's everywhere because there's nothing wrong with it. Police officers see that as a sense of pride. People put that on, on, on their car windows to show police officers we stand with you. So we have to get the message out that it's the furthest thing from anything negative out there. You know, my husband is involved uh, locally in politics here and at the office where he has a his volunteer job, the first thing that we did in that office was get a thin blue line American flag and put it right up front. It's the first thing you see with the American flag and the state of Arizona flag when you walk in the door, because we want our local police officers to feel welcome when they walk in there. We want them to know that we're thinking about them. And that's all that it is. And and you're right. We have seen police leaders throughout this nation uh, fall to the whims of one or two activists. And we've seen that in our schools as well. We've seen uh, throughout the nation, uh, especially high school sports teams, primarily football teams, where uh, cops' kids want to come onto the field carrying that thin blue line flag, just like they carry their state flag, their 4-H flag, whatever it is that they want to carry. And, uh, and the Black Lives Matter flag as well. But somehow that thin blue line flag evokes so much negative emotion in really what I believe is a small amount uh, of people, but the media has really grabbed onto that. Haven't they, Joe? They have. And and policing has become so diverse like it should have. And you have officers, whether white, black, Hispanic, and everything in between that off duty wear blue line shirts or bracelets. If it was that negative or that divisive, these individuals would not be on their own time 
wearing that stuff, especially if they're black and brown. You know, so instead of starting this dialect where we're automatically jumping at each other's throats, we both have to sit down and say, no, this is what it is. Educate people. But unfortunately, you have the people uh, on one spectrum that all they want to do is argue. They don't want to learn. They don't want to hear the truth. uh, And they want controversy. But unfortunately, policing is here to stay. We will always have law and order. Common sense people, no matter what their background is, will always fight to have a normal and safe life. And that's why police officers will always be there for them. So talk about some of the amazing things that Blue Lives Matter has been able to do um, since you came up with this idea. So there was a baseball player named Anthony Vivaro. He played for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, He became a Port Authority police officer a couple years ago, left Major League Baseball. Uh, His uh, godfather was actually killed on 9-11. He was an NYPD officer. Last year, he was driving to a ceremony. He was an instructor um, in the city for 9-11. And he was killed by somebody driving the wrong way and went head on. So in September of this year, we'll be honoring Anthony and his family by having them throw out the first pitch at a uh, city field. It's a Mets ball game. And this is what we do. We have the family come out and we honor them. We have a huge gala every single year where we honor police officers killed in the line of duty. We flew out to uh, Los Angeles a, a few years ago in California when Ron L. Singh was shot and killed. Uh, to, to, you know, it, it, I get chills thinking about it because at the time my son was eight months old and his son, I think was like three or five months old. And it just, if, if it upsets me because if something happened to me and my son didn't have a dad, I'd want someone there for me. So we flew out there, we met the, the wife, uh, you know, we, we met the little son months prior, we flew out his brother and the police chief and we raised $15,000. When cops have been killed in the line of duty out here, whether it was Simonson, Mulkeen, Ramos, uh, you know, Lou, Mora, Rivera, we team up with other fraternal organizations. We've raised over $60,000 just per fundraiser. You know, so it's absolutely incredible. Three Puerto Rican cops were killed in Puerto Rico a few years ago in 30 days. We raised $60,000 with the help of the Hispanic Society and the Ramos Foundation and flew out to Puerto Rico. Uh, plenty of times we've literally showed up at a doorstep with flowers and something that we love the family does, whether it's a little trip somewhere or whatever the case may be. And that's what matters. That's what's special. And that's what we're going to continue to do. What kind of support do you get from uh, the non-law enforcement community to keep Blue Lives Matter going? Well, let's get something straight. I, I, I love keeping politics out of it. And people of all over that I've met, whether Democrat or Republican, love police officers. They want good, proper, respectful policing. They deserve that. But they also want to see their streets safe. So there will be people that will come up to me and say, Joe, we don't want anyone knowing we did this and they'll make a donation. They'll show up at my gala. And no one's standing there saying, are you Democrat, Republican? No, we just, we're human beings. That's what we are. We want the same thing and that's what we want to continue. We've received tons of support. Don't get me wrong. I've had some, uh, you know, fans, you know, from, from that don't like cops. I've had AOC and the squad come after me, um, you know, which is never fun. But, you know, you're obviously doing something right. And I'm not here to argue. I'm not here to call out people or yell or scream or, or call people names. I'm just here to give people the facts and show them firsthand how important policing is. We always have to change and evolve, but we also need to keep people safe. How do you think that policing, you know, law and order, became such a political issue. It wasn't a particularly political issue when I got when I got on the job. And and even when you got on the job, you know, we didn't we we were taught you don't talk about politics, especially when you're at work, things like that. You just go do your job. How did it become so political? 
the world has gotten soft. We see what's going on with our military. You know, we have military people out there that join and are willing to give their lives because at, at a moment's notice, we can be attacked. We may need to be sent somewhere. And, you know, dating back to all the wars that we've had, it's not pretty. You need freedom fighters. Same thing with policing. It's not pretty. But what I've noticed as I get older is there's certain people out there that don't want to have the world be a peaceful place because then they have nothing to fight over. Then in their minds, they have nothing to, to work towards. They love of the chaos. And that's why we need like-minded individuals, common sense people just to stand up and say, no, we're not listening to this. We need a safe life. We need common sense and we need to move forward. Uh, media, I think social media, not just media, but I think it's been a downfall of American society because at first it was just to stay in touch with people. And now everyone has an opinion. Everyone's an expert. Everyone's an activist. And God bless everyone for really wanting to make a change, but it hasn't always been for the better. One of the things that we talk about a lot at the National Police Association is that we're here to support the citizens and the defund the police movement. It didn't particularly damage cops. It damaged our citizens, our neighborhoods. You know, what what have you seen in the last three years with the defund the police movement that that really started in earnest? after the death of George Floyd? Well, I've seen twofold. So let's talk about the community portion. We've had less cars being able to turn out nationwide, less police officers being hired. We had more police officers retiring. We have less proactive units, which are not a good thing because you need proactive policing. So those coupled with each other have hurt these communities. On the police side, behind the scenes, Yes, you're hiring less cops. That's because you don't have the money, but they're not able to update technology as much. They're not able to go out there and, you know, for instance, uh, computers or vests. They're not able to buy them as much as they were able to. One thing, as crazy as it sounds, is there was a situation where a, a, a police officer's vehicle was involved in a car accident. The tow pound literally said, sorry, because of defund the police, we closed at 11. We won't back back till eight o'clock tomorrow morning. And they couldn't get that police car off the street. So individuals don't see those little tiny things which really go a long way but without having the money there it has affected both sides uh the nypd is about four thousand short and and actually nine out of uh every 10 police departments in this country uh small medium and large are shorthanded what do you think it's going to take to bring new young people back to the profession of law enforcement I think there's a bunch of aspects. I think the legacies, for instance, we call them. It's police officers that joined because their grandfather, their mother, their father, whoever the case may be. Back in the day, people were proud to say that they were a police officer and want to get their child on. Those individuals now are turning around and saying, no, I don't want you to be a cop. You know, it's, it's not worth it. So that's one problem. We can always talk about money. It doesn't matter how much you give somebody. It's never going to be enough. So you don't become a police officer for that instant. So my personal opinion, I don't think that's number one. Would it be nice to make a million dollars being a cop? Of course it would, but it's not going to happen. We really need to have leaders, political leaders, stand up and, and, and help police officers instead of trying to hurt them. Instead of someone waking up every morning and saying, if I put a uniform on, I might leave my house as a police officer but I may end up as a criminal behind bars because I thought I was doing my job the right way. People don't want to have to worry about that. On top of that, other than the military, and there's plenty of, of very dangerous jobs. You can walk out of your house and maybe never return because you get shot and killed or involved in a motor vehicle accident or chasing somebody and fall off a roof. So people are saying, is it really worth me going out there and risking my life in order to get demonized every single day? And the politicians really, every look what they did in New York City, the diaphragm bill. 
We know from just martial arts that wrestling with somebody, you're going to end up on top of them. It's just what happens. But now you're going to lock up a police officer because they tackle somebody and they end up on somebody's chest for two seconds. That's crazy stuff. We, we need to bring common sense into policing. And I think after that, showing legitimate support from both sides of the aisle, I, I think we'll be able to attract more people. How do you think body worn cameras have affected American law enforcement? Because, you know, again, when we talk about exactly what you just said, the use of force, um, you know, activists said, you know, everybody needs a body worn camera to show how brutal cops are. And uh, and actually, that's not quite been uh, actually I I think it's been more positive for law enforcement. What do you what do you see? I think what happened was it was the best thing ever for law enforcement because Someone can't just come out and accuse you. Now it's on tape and we see people actually pull back and don't curse cops out as much. Some do or aren't as violent when they realize that the camera is recording. I think it backfired on on, on the side of the activists because they thought they were going to catch more. And now because it's not going their way, they want to tighten the reins even more. I, I think there's nothing better than seeing it on camera. What hurts, though, is, is district attorneys, unless it's on camera, they won't prosecute. That's the negative side. You know, there are times where, where someone comes up to you and says, hey, so-and-so did this to me. Well, is it on camera? No, but I have a victim and they won't want to prosecute nowadays. That's the negative side. But for police officers to keep you safe, to keep you from losing your job, you know, as long as you're doing things right, I, I think it's a major, an amazing tool to have. Yeah, I, and I, I agree. You're absolutely right. So, Joe, where can people find you, find Blue Lives Matter? Where can they help out with this mission that you're on? Well, we mail to all 50 states. Technically, it's a donation. So if they go on and they see a hoodie or a bracelet or a T-shirt, they, they can definitely purchase at bluelivesmatternyc.org, at bluelivesnyc for Instagram and Twitter, at bluelivesmatter-nyc on Facebook. Awesome. You do incredible work, and you're a really busy guy. And uh, we so appreciate you spending time with us today. And if you'd like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. Put the gun down! Put the gun down! Last year, law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.